put our hands together this morning. share a quick scripture with you. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and it says, this is really familiar, it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. But this is what I want to point out. It says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. 
So this morning as we continue in worship, I want to encourage you, we're not just here, you know, reading words on a screen, but we're here worshiping and lifting up a prayer for our city, for our families, for our workplaces. And as we continue in worship this morning, let's lift up our hearts because God hears and his ear is attentive. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
to have a seat for just a moment. We're going to pass out communion for the next few moments. And as I do, I just want to encourage you to stay in this atmosphere of worship. We have a new song for you guys. Uh, if you can, sing it along with me. Cause I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus lived and died for me. that with me this morning. His body bound. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. He entranced by heavy stone. Messiah Yeah. 
just want you to tell him that you love him this morning you're on the way Facebook, and she wrote, my friend and I were having breakfast at a restaurant this morning, and after taking our orders, our waitress came back and told us our ticket has been paid. We looked around, didn't see anyone we recognized, but later she told us there was a gentleman that said to tell us to have a blessed day. This act of kindness in itself did bless us, but more than that, our hearts were touched to know that even amidst all the chaos and hurt in the world at this time, there's still good and kind people in the world. And I was reflecting on why people do good and kind things. And I'll tell you, it's this, friends, because of the goodness of our God. How I many know when we do good things, we're simply imitating our Heavenly Father, and He is first and foremost a good God. As we celebrate communion, I can't think of a better thing today than the goodness of my Savior. He's a good, good father. <laughs> we'll sing that later. He's a good, good father. I mean, no, the world is not so good, but God is always good. And he's so good. That's what we're celebrating this morning in communion. Somehow the pain of a cross is good. It was terrible for Jesus. But you know what? He loved us so much that he wanted to be with us. And because he is a just God, a righteous God, we couldn't come into his presence with our sin. Somehow our sin had to be paid for, just like your house mortgage, just like your car note. You miss that thing on several payments, they're coming to get your ride. Well, how many know that same justice is in the spiritual economy of the world? And Jesus came to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin so I wouldn't have to. How many know it was a painful thing for him, but it's a good thing for me? And that's what I celebrate on communion. In communion, we look back at what Christ did at the cross. We ask forgiveness for our wrongs. We forgive other people. But we look to Christ in the present. And communion has a special resolve about it that I'm going to endeavor to live afresh for Christ. And we look ahead because Jesus is coming again. He's a good, good God. Let's read what Paul said. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So could we pray that not just facts in our heads, but somehow in the depth of our heart, 
we would come to understand the love that God has for us. Lord, we bow our head today because you are God and we're not. We recognize your, not only your power, your might, but the love that you have for us. I'm humbled by it. I'm amazed by it. I don't understand it. But I'm sure glad for it. Lord, reveal to me in a deeper measure the love that you have for me and what Christ did for me. And let my life be lived afresh to please you. As we ask you to bless the bread, I pray that you would heal all of us that are sick, sick in our bodies, sick in our soul. Heal us, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the bread. Let's eat it together. Mind you, Jesus is at a table with his disciples. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The color of this cup reminds us of the blood of Christ. And this is what makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world. See, the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Christ shed his blood not because of his mistakes, but he was a perfect sacrifice. And he was able to take my place. So I remember what God's done for me. And humbly today, we ask God to forgive us. Would you bow your head a minute? And Lord, we acknowledge what you already know is we've done wrong and we seem to continue to do it. And it's an incredible thing that the Bible says I can confess my sins and you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So wash me today, Lord. Make me like a child again. Restore my innocence. Take away my condemnation and shame. And I believe today that there's no sin too big for God to forgive. In the same way, I forgive people who've sinned against me. And there's been some big ones. But just as I've been forgiven, you've called me to forgive. In Jesus' name. Let's lift our cup to heaven. We're proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. Let us be found afresh to live for God, to serve him with all our heart, to take the gospel to the whole world, to live a life that's pleasing to our Savior. Lord, bless this cup today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, why don't we stand back to our feet? We're going to worship a little bit more. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be.
one. Is that your heart cry this morning? Make a little noise for the Lord. Amen, amen. Why don't you love on a couple people around you? Make your way back to your seats this morning. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. great to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? And good news, it's going to be under 100 degrees today. So you excited about that? All right. Hey, it is getting through the summer. We're over halfway there. Any parents ready for your kids to get back to school yet or not? No? All right. Hey, but that means our ministry guide is coming out. We have that come out about mid-August, so when school starts, we're ready to start all of our small groups. So this is a great time for you to step up and lead. 
And I know when I use that word lead, that sounds like, oh, I don't know if I can. But really, you're just facilitating a small group. That means you can, you or one of your children can put in a DVD, and we have lots of them, a whole list of them. Check with me or my wife. Put the DVD in, say a prayer, let the DVD play, ask a few questions and pray. It's that easy to lead a small group. And so find a way you can get involved, uh, especially coming into this fall. In the last few weeks, we've been reminding you about these red cards that if you're not receiving emails or texts from us with information about services or events and you want to, grab one of these out of the seat in front of you, fill it out, and put it in the offering, and we'll get you added to that so we can keep you updated, all right? And for our small groups, if you want a leadership application, there's one in the foyer, check with my wife, Sharon, or myself. And it's very, very easy. Even if you didn't want to do a DVD or a Bible study, you could. if you have a passion, one of the... Uh, women on our praise and worship team she's not here now she loves to pray play a disc golf frisbee golf at the park she's starting a small group around disc frisbee golf and going to do a devotional before and an opportunity to get people who don't come to church to get the word of god to them and just help them maybe get involved in the community so and our youth is getting ready to go to our annual beach trip to Panama City, Florida. We're leaving this Friday. We're really excited about it. Uh, me, Pastor Mike, Pastor Zach, we're going to take a team of students and leaders. Around 50 to 55 students are going, which is awesome. Uh, but one, I still have a couple of spots available. So if you have a student that's wanting to go, or maybe you want to send a student that uh, you just want them to get connected, come and talk to me after service, and we can try to work something out. Uh, two, I have uh, several students and leaders that still need sponsorship so they can go. So if you'd like to give towards this uh, to fully fund a student, it's going to be $225. We're needing to raise right around $1,000 to have our trip fully funded. Okay, so we're believing for that this weekend. And then three, I just want to ask, can you pray for us? And, and I say that because if we're not shaping these kids, somebody is, the world is. And, and I want you to pray for us and encourage, and we want to partner with you parents that God will give us the grace and anointing to shape these kids in their lives for the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you. You know, if you're fairly new to our church, and maybe your kids don't want to go to the youth group, or they went one time, and you'll hear comments like, oh, nobody said hi to me. Nobody, and you go down to their friendliest can be, but they just don't like change. Okay, if you just get them involved, one of these road trips, man, they will lock in and God will just do great things in their life. Amen. We're continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And again, if you'd like to give to the youth, just write youth trip or youth camp on there. They still need maybe close to $1,000. So any bit will help there. And a scripture as we're getting ready for our tithes and offering, it's one you've heard a lot. It's seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. It's right after the Lord's prayer when God's talking. Jesus is teaching them to pray about uh, protection, pray about their uh, provision that they need. And then he makes that statement. If we'll just seek first, then all these things will be added. So I want to encourage you. One way you seek first is by giving that 10% to the Lord and trusting him in that. And then we're able to have great churches like this. And that's the thing about when you tithe, we're able to reach more people. And in just a moment, you're going to watch our Bless the City kind of highlight reel from the week. And I just want to say thank you to our church. That's a giving church. We're able to go out and bless our community because it probably took over 5000 to do this. By the time you do free snow cones and feed policemen and firemen and get them a, you know, a little uh, dog tag with a scripture on. And just thanks for giving, but also thanks for serving and thanks for praying. Thanks for coming out there. But when you give to the church, when you, these lives you're going to see up at the altar, there's probably over 100 uh, children and adults that gave their life to Christ over this week, just that we know of. And that means you had a part in that. 
When you get to heaven, there's people going to shake your hand and say thank you for giving to the Lord. And I'm telling you, that's the power of working together as a church. We can really make a big difference in the community. So let's celebrate together as we watch this video of Bless Our Community. out to heaven and just close our eyes for just a moment and say, God, you are good to me. I could go on for hours about your goodness, but I just want to exalt you and glorify you because, Lord, you, you, for some reason, you've taken notice of me, and I just want to say that I love you. Come on, say it out loud. Say, I love you, God. And I just welcome your presence today. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would have his way in all our lives. We worship you today. We give you the honor as best we know how because you're a good, good father. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, tell your neighbor, you are glad they're sitting next to you today. And turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Last week, if you missed it, we were, uh, talked about the racial crisis in America and how you and I as a Christian might be able to help with that. You can check it out in our online applications. But this week, I want to continue my series called The Final Chapter, Living in the Last Days. And if you recall, the last time we talked about this, we looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 5. I mean, no, no better, nobody better than Jesus, and they talk about the last days. And in Matthew chapter 24, you remember he talked about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. 
That is, literally, he predicted that about 40 years after he left this earth, it would be destroyed. It happened. He talked about the signs of the end of the world. And one that I didn't like is he talked about his followers would be treated in the last days and not very well. He talked about someone called the Antichrist, someone that's going to be a world leader that's going to arise and the whole world will go after him and he'll demand to be worshipped as God. And the climax of last week was the second coming of Christ. It is the climax of our lives. Stay with me now. It is the climax that we look forward to. Now, he concluded... Uh, these, these passages, more of the predictive nature of the second coming, of what's going to happen in the future, he, pre, he concluded by saying, nobody knows the day or the hour of his return. And here's where we're going to begin today, Matthew 24, verse 44. I want you to say this with me. You also must be ready all the time. Come on, let's say it again. You must be ready all the time. Because Jesus, the Son of Man, will come when least expected. And the rest of chapter 24 and most of chapter 25 contains three parables that talk about how to be ready. Now, a parable in the Bible was like a story. It was something that went on in their everyday world that gives a spiritual application. So Jesus told three stories, and in the stories, you can literally see each one has a common, a common theme to it. There's a master and there's some servants. And these parables are symbolic of spiritual things. Jesus is the master. His followers, people who say they believe in him, are the servants. And each parable has kind of a different slant to it, but it talks about our preparation. If there's a word we're looking at today, it's the word preparation. Now, with that, I want to talk about interpretation. Remember in the first message... There are different interpretations of these last day events. For example, a different sequence of events. Some people strongly believe that there will or won't be Christians during the, you know, the tribulation and end time events. So there's different interpretations out there. And in the same way in these parables, people look at them differently. Some people interpret these parables as Jesus is talking to believers. Some are addressed to apostates. An apostate is someone who used to believe in Christ but deliberately rejected him and walked away. And others, more pointedly, speak to religious people who are not saved. How many know you can go to church, but going to church doesn't get you to heaven? Amen. Going to church is a good thing, but good things don't get you to heaven. See, it's our faith and our trust in Christ that deals with the barrier of sin. And that's what these parables are about. But I, I, rather than trying to be real definitive, say, no, this one's about the apostate, this one's about the believer, I'm just going to encourage you to look at your life in each parable and ask the simple question, do I want to be like the wise servant or the foolish one? Am I living a life today? This is kind of an evaluation message. It's a, it's a serious one. This has some serious undertones to it. It's not, you know, the last time we talked about it, it was predictions and it's kind of edgy. It's out there. But this is, you know, kind of grassroots bottom line. And you picked a great Sunday to be here because I believe God's going to speak to you today. Let's continue now as we talk about Jesus in the last days, part two. We're going to begin first with what's called the parable of the wise and faithful servant. What I glean from this is this, is that I'm not going to be ready for the second coming if I ignore God today and presume I can serve Him tomorrow. And what I mean by ignore God, I mean put God in second place. 
I might even go to church. Listen, I went to church as a kid because mom made me go, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's make you, makes you a hamburger? <laughs> going to church is a good thing, but religious things won't get us there. But here's what some people do. We have a God box, and whether it's kind of a small or a medium box, but really God's not first. We're kind of living our life. We're doing our thing, and we're, here's the subtle illusion is we say to ourselves, I'm going to get right with God tomorrow. Listen, preacher, you were young one time. You were 18. You know what it's like to be wild, to go with your friends, to sow your oats. That's what I'm going to do. And then one day I'm going to get married and have kids. And then I'm going to settle down and serve God. Look, preacher, you don't understand. I just got divorced. I'm ready to start my life. I want to go out and experience some things. I got married young, and I didn't have a chance to, you know, just to kind of get out there. And I'm going to do that a little while, but then I'm going to come back to God. This, is, this parable is addressing because it's a presumption, it's an illusion that you may have a chance to come back. It could be eternally too late. In this parable, we're going to read it in verse 45, but this one person, this servant, has a choice whether he's going to be wise or foolish. And Jesus asked the question, who is the faithful and wise servant? And this is what I'm going to encourage that you and I want to be in all these three parables whom the master, who's the master? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at their proper time. Now, what he asked them to do is irrelevant, but the point is, Jesus is the master. He has given to you and I as his servants the ways to live and what to do, and he expects us to be responsible and do it. And verse 46 is a great promise. Jesus said, it will be for good for that servant whom the master finds doing when he returns. All three of these parables talk about the second coming of Christ. And if you're serving the Lord, if you're living the life, when he returns, it's going to be a great thing for you. But now look at verse 48. Here's the crossroads. But suppose the servant is wicked. Wicked is simply a fancy word, it's connotations of evil, but bottom line, it's going my way rather than God's way. It's doing my thing rather than God's thing. He's wicked and he says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. Look, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus left. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. What he did is not the issue. The fact is, though, he walked away from God. He turned his back on God's ways. And verse 50 says, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. Jesus is coming back. We won't know when. And the tragedy of verse 51, for this man, he's going to be cut in pieces, which another translation says he'll, God will punish him and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Now, that's a key word in the interpretation of this passage. A hypocrite is not a, a, a Christian generally trying to serve the Lord, stumbles, makes a sin, asks God to forgive him, and keeps going. How I many know we all sin? Come on, religious folks today. All, all the sinners, wave your hand at me here. Come on, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I make mistakes, but just because I make a mistake doesn't mean I'm a hypocrite, even if it's a big one, and even if people know it and they laugh at me. A hypocrite is a pretender. A hypocrite is someone that's trying to be someone that they're not. It's someone that's out in the world and just, you know, likes being in the world. It's like, you know, it's like an addiction. Sin is an addiction. You know, maybe you've told yourself, well, I'm not going to steal anymore. I'm not going to be crooked anymore. I'm not going to do any more drug deals. This is the last one. But when you're out of money, it's all you know, and you just, something pulls you to do it. But you go to church, or you pray, or you get your Bible out, and that's a good thing. But we're kind of 
if this foot is on the dock and this one is on a ship, I, 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 I like both. You want to see how far I can go, don't you? But you got to choose. And if you're out in that world, it's seductive. Now, the tragedy of this is he's going where the hypocrites go, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, no, that doesn't sound good. Hypocrites are pretenders. Now, here's some spiritual lessons from this parable. You and I are like the servant, and we've got two choices. We can do what Jesus tells us to do, or we can turn away from God, hoping that we can come back before it's too late. Can I tell you, it's an illusion. It is dangerous to flirt with evil and excuse it. We become worldly. We still believe in God, but yet we're not serving Him. We're not living for Him. And the lie is, I'll get right tomorrow. Some believe this servant is an apostate, which means they believed and stopped believing. Others believe he's religious but not saved. I suggest to you it doesn't really matter. The question is, am I like that servant or not? Am I the wise servant that's living the way God calls me to live? If I am, I'm going to be ready. And if I'm not, bottom line, I'm going to be in trouble. Because I'm telling you, you're gambling with your soul to presume you can get right tomorrow. You're gambling with your soul that you can get it right tomorrow. Listen, my friends, get right with God today and start serving Him now. You can do that this morning. You can make the step to Christ. Perhaps the premier scripture for the morning is 2 Corinthians 6. It says, for God says, indeed, the right time is now. It's now. It's now. Today is the day of salvation. And the wonderful news in this parable is that those who faithfully serve God will be rewarded on that great day. And listen, I don't want to focus on the tragedy. It's going to be there for those who reject Him. But I'm telling you, if you make the choice today between following God and following the path of evil and wickedness, how many know when you choose God, you win every time? Come on, give Him a big hand this morning. Now, here's the second parable. And again, now, Jesus is telling these stories just after He's told people, I'm coming back one day, be ready. And here's the second parable. It's called the parable of the wise and foolish virgins or young girls. And here's what I learned in this one. I'm not going to be ready for the second coming if I'm not truly saved or born again. Now, I want you to stay with me on this one now. I think one of the great problems in America today is millions of people have been inoculated with religion. We've heard about Jesus We've never taught about a commitment to Christ, pretty much. We just believe some Bible facts, and we're told we're going to heaven because we shook the preacher's hand. Let's explore this one. This scene is a Jewish wedding. In the Jewish wedding, Jesus, well, the groom, what happens, he leaves his house, and he and his parents go to the, bridegroom, or to the uh, uh, bride's house and meets with the parents, and he leaves his bride-to-be behind, and she stays back with her bridesmaids. And, you know, that was the day of arranged marriages. They're working out the details, where they're going to live and work and all those things. Well, lo and behold, when it's all decided, the bride, and it's usually at night, goes back, or the bridegroom, I'm sorry, goes to get the bride. And as he goes there, it's dark, and there's someone that goes before him, and they say, the bridegroom is coming. Then the Bible tells us there's going to be a loud trumpet sound, the voice of the archangel before Christ comes. Well, this voice comes, this bridegroom goes back, and then the bridesmaids light their lamps 
And it's a procession, if you can imagine, like everybody's got a flashlight in there. They're walking to the groom's house for the ceremony. Well, in this story, five of these bridesmaids are wise and five are foolish. All of them had lamps, but five took extra oil and five didn't. So this is the story. Matthew 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with the lamps, and the bridegroom was a long time in coming. That's Jesus. And they all fell asleep. At midnight, didn't Jesus tell us no man knows the day or the hour? At midnight, the cry rings out, here's the bridegroom, come meet him. And all the virgins woke up. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrives. Now here's the story. I omitted a couple verses for time's sake. They all are awake, and then they, what's called trimming their lamps, and the, uh, the unwise ones say, we don't have enough oil. Can we borrow some of yours? And they say, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. You've got to go to Walmart and buy some. That dumb preacher didn't even know there wasn't any Walmarts back then. How do you know? <laughs> there weren't. But anyway, they go to buy the oil, and while they're on their way to buy it, the bridegroom arrives, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and then the door was shut. It's finality. It's like being on the outside of Noah's ark. Later, the others came also and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Listen to this. Jesus, this is the pivotal point of of this passage. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour of your Lord will come. Now, here's the key lesson. The key phrase when Jesus said, I don't know you. We can be religious but lost. We can go to church but not be a Christian. This is not a case of Christians losing their salvation. Jesus didn't say, I no longer know you. The unwise had never been his. But yet they were around the bridal party. Now I want to ask you, which is probably the greatest question you'll hear today, or perhaps in your life, how do I know I'm truly saved? How do I know that I'm going to heaven? Listen, friend, I'm I'm not your judge, but I'll tell you this, the evidence is a changed life. You see, the essence of following Jesus is I was going my way, doing my thing, and Christ called me and I turned to follow him. I used to go my way and mom would make me go to church and I'm grateful for mom, but I don't go to heaven going my way. I go to heaven when I turn and believe in Christ and follow him. There's evidence of a changed life. People who repent and believe are different. Because they're born again. Uh, doing religious things won't get you to heaven. You can give money. You can, you, know, you can read a Bible. You can go to church. You can be nice. But you can't work your way into heaven. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Jesus said a spiritual rebirth is required. In John 3, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I suggest to you, if you would have asked me in my early days as a teenager if I was going to heaven, I'd say yes, because I'm more good than bad and I go to church. We're almost not aware of it. And my intent now is not to try to cause you to doubt your salvation, 
But I do want to ask you, is there evidence of your life that you're saved? My experience is people that know the Lord and love the Lord respect their Bible. They'll read it. They'll pray. People that know and love the Lord, that they change. They stop the sins that they used to do. Instead of living for themselves, they start serving the Lord. Sin bothers people that are saved. Uh, people that are saved and know the Lord, they start giving of their time and their money to the work of God. And, and they tell lost people about Jesus. They're concerned about other people. If I, if I didn't have this evidence, listen now, I, I'd be concerned. And I'm not, t- hey, listen, I'm not your judge, but I'm telling you it would be a cause for a pause in my life. Salvation is of our hearts. It can be as simple as the thief on the cross. Listen. He's hung between the cross. He mocked Jesus when they put him up. But towards the end, he looks at Jesus and said, Remember me today in paradise. And Jesus saw that his heart was trusting in him. And he said, Today you'll be with me. And he didn't get baptized or he didn't even bow his his, his hands. But there was a religious man. He's called the young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and said, What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, You know the commandments? He listed five. He said, I've done these all my life. I mean, that's a big thing. Jesus said, one small thing, take what you have, sell it, give it to the poor and follow me and you'll have eternal life. And he said, I'm sorry. He was not saved. He had a bigger religious box than most people. Salvation is when you turn your heart over to Christ, when you surrender to God. Let me give you some phrases. Several times they're asked in Scripture about, you know, what do we do? Acts chapter 2, Paul is pre- or Peter is preached, and, and, and they say, this crowd is there. said, well, what do we do now? He talked about Jesus. And Peter said, each one of you must repent of your sins. You must repent and turn to God. I suggest to you, if there is no repenting, which means changing, if there is no turning towards God, you're not His. See, something happens on the inside when we start following Jesus. How many know followers believe and believers follow? Then he said, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Water baptism is an identification with Christ. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But people, listen, they may not mind shaking the preacher's hand or coming across, but, but I, I don't want to get wet. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to get wet. Something's missing. Paul, when he was in the Philippian jailer, The jailer heard him preaching and he said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's this word believe that's a pregnant word, but we don't give it its due. If Let's say we're living on the coast and uh, they tell us a hurricane's coming. It's not going to be, you know, a cat five. We can probably survive it. Maybe it's going to be a two or three. It's going to be a lot of water and a lot of wind. Well, how many know if you believe it, you're going to go to the store, you're going to get some, you know, some boards and put them on your window. You're, you're going to go uh, to the store, you're going to get water, you're going to get some food to cook and prepare, you're going to get flashlight batteries, you're going to make sure you've got a radio, you know, you, you're, going to, you're going to get ready. If you have to evacuate, you get the car full of gas. How many know you're doing something because you believe? Believers don't just lay on the beach and put on more sunscreen. Come on, if a, if a, if a, if a, if a hurricane's coming. See, believers act. In Romans 10, here's the action. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, this is the public confession. 
I'll ask at the end of the service today if anyone wants to commit their life to Christ. Not because you're joining this church or have to do anything for me, but there's something about the courage to stand and say, I believe. When you get baptized in water, listen, if you're from a Muslim family and you go into the watery grave, you've got a vendetta against your life. They'll take your life because you've just identified with Christ. Openly declares, look, believe in your heart. This is where it starts. That God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. God's not looking for people to do religious rules. He doesn't need your money. But what he wants us to do, the greatest commandment in the whole Bible is to what? Come on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the inception of this is a look to the cross of Christ. Say, I believe in you. And to the best of my ability, I turn from my past. Not that I'm perfect because I'm pulled, but I'm continually doing this in my life. I'm looking back, but I'm going closer. I'm drawing near. I'm following him. I'm walking away. And before you know it, my hands are in my pockets. And before you know it, I'm not even looking back. Come on I'm growing in the stature and the knowledge of God. The question of that parable is, I don't know you. My question today is, do you know Christ? Is there evidence? And the good news is, for those that know him, come on, the five wise, come on, they're ready. They got their oil, and they're going when the master comes at midnight. Let me wrap this up. The third parable Here's what I learned from this. It's called the parable of the talents. A talent was not a, 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 something that you can do, but in biblical terms, it was, a, it was a, a portion of money. For example, they'll use the interpretation, a bag of money. Now, here's the lesson. We're not going to be ready for the second coming if we're not a good steward of our time, talent, and treasure. Listen to the story. Now, here Jesus, once again in this parable, a master and servants... Three servants, he gives each a bag of money, but he entrusts it to them. The money's not theirs. He entrusts it to them. How many know the talent is not mine? If you've been around a musician that can really play, you go, man, I wish I could do that. How many know wishing will not make you a pianist? But if you don't have the ability, you can practice till your fingers turn green and you still can't flow. Come on, like some people. We have abilities. They turn my microphone off when I sing. They get scared when I'm singing in the back to a worship song. See, you thought I was singing earlier. I was just lip syncing when I was up here because I, I, I don't have that ability. Are you with me? I can make a joyful noise. But the gifts we have are entrusted by God. I can be a Tim Tebow, come on, make the touchdown, lift my finger to heaven. Or I can be another quarterback, come on, and something don't go, doesn't go right. Rather than a finger to heaven, I wave my middle finger at you. I mean, are you with me today? I have abilities that are given by God. And what's going to happen, the master's coming back. He's going to ask for us to give an account and say, what did you do with what I gave you? This is the story. Matthew 25, verse 14. The kingdom of heaven. Now, I mean, no, we don't get to define how God is and what heaven's like and what God's ways are. I mean, no, I can embrace it and accept it or not. I suggest to you the modern idolatry is the worship of self. We have deified self to the degree to believe that we can determine who God is, come on, and what his ways are like, and we just can't. You know, uh, thank God for AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I don't worship God in the way that I envision him to be. I mean, no, he, no, he is who he is. Well, the kingdom of heaven, again now, getting ready for the second coming, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. Who's the man? It's Jesus. 
He calls his servants, and what does he do? The key word is entrusted his wealth to them, gifts, talents, abilities. To one he gave five bags of gold, to one two, and to another one, and here's the cool thing, each according to his ability. Which means God's not comparing you to me or me to somebody else. I, I used to beat myself up because I felt like you know other people, other pastors or evangelists were doing more for God than I was. And my wife slapped me around a little bit one day. Uh, not very hard, but she said, wait a minute now. Did God call us to come to this town and pastor this church and have we been obedient? Yes. Are we doing the best we can? Yes. Well, then why don't we be happy in what God's given us and what God's called us to do? But don't compare yourself to me. You may work at Cooper Tire. Well, listen, you'll reach people at Cooper Tire that I'll never reach. Your job is not just a place to get money. Your job is a platform to influence people. You're on a mission for God. Listen, you may love tattoos. I'm scared of needles. You're going to reach people that I'd never reach. If you use what God has given you, your, 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 your influence of people. Okay, here's the story. He gives them five, two, and one. 19, after a long time, the master returns, Jesus' second coming, and settles accounts with them. This is judgment day. This is when God's going to ask you, ask me what I did with what he gave me. The guy that got five uh, bags of gold, he said, Master, you entrusted me with five. I've gained five more, which means I simply, I used what I had to make a difference for you. And the master replied what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, here's the question we need to ask. Is that what I want to hear God say to me? Because every one of these parables has two pathways to go down, the wise path and the foolish path. Well, the the same thing. He said, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge with many. It's almost like earth is a warm-up for heaven, and heaven is more than sitting on clouds. So he said the same thing to the guy with two bags of gold, the same accolade. For his reward. Now, verse 24, the man who received one bag of gold, Master, I was afraid and I hid your gold in the ground. Verse 26, that did not set well with God. The Master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. Again, the choice. All of them had something, none of them were treated the same, but this guy buried what God gave him. In verse 30, the tragedy, throw that worthless servant outside. Worthless servant. Throw him into the darkness. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Used to be an old song in my rock and roll days. I'm on a highway to hell. You don't want to go there, stupid. You don't have to go there. I'm going to be with my buddies, and we're going to be getting high. There's going to be some great weed in heaven. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. Want to go there? And we sing songs, and we laugh. and That's not what the Bible says. It's a place of darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what do I learn from this parable? God doesn't compare me to other people. He wants me to use what I have and do what I can with what he's entrusted me. Come on, how many want to do that with their life today? Me too. Now this next one is a big one. I don't own anything. It's an illusion. But I'm a steward entrusted by God with all I have. And he expects me to use my time, my treasure, my talent, my abilities to further his kingdom. 
I don't own anything. And what I'm talking about now, I'm not just talking about money, but I'm talking about your influence, your abilities. You know, some of us had the privilege, had the ability and the opportunity to get a graduate degree and we're a professional, we're a doctor or whatever the case is. But we've done something in life. Others have athletic ability. Others are politicians. You know, when I, when I post something on Facebook, man, I'll tell you what. If I was able to manage 300, I just hit a grand slam. 300 likes, I just hit a grand slam home run. And I feel great until I see somebody that's got 50,000 likes and I say, what in the world? Here's the deal. That person has a greater potential to influence than I do. And God's going to hold them accountable for their influence. Come on now. Some of us have been entrusted with wealth. Listen, wealth is for two or three things. One is it's to enjoy and meet our needs, but it doesn't stop there. It's to be used to advance His kingdom. And you can do more with your hundred than I can do with my $10 bill. It's a fact in the kingdom of God. We can do more, and it takes money. And if God entrusts us with it, listen, He doesn't want it all. He wants you to use it and have a good life and all those things, but He just doesn't want us to just keep it. He wants us to live with open hands. Let me illustrate it. I don't know if you remember this, but we had a friend here. Uh, he was from the Middle East, the underground church, a number of months ago. And uh, he was raising money for what he called a safe house, or houses, plural. Here's the situation in the Middle East. ISIS is killing Christians everywhere they go. The religion of peace, ha-ha, beheads you. If you don't choose Christ, if you're in Iran, if you're in Iraq, if you're in Syria, if you're in Turkey, Turkey just had a big overthrow of their government. God only knows what's going on there. These are our Christians in the Middle East. One happens to come through our doorway and says, Christians in America, can you help us? We need a safe place because we've left with only the clothes on our back and what we have. And I was thinking about my brother recently, and I got a note from him, and he said, there was an attack. And I had to hide in the safe house for several days. The same night they came, when the attack started, they, they came to my house and broke down the door and searched my house. But we were gone. We'd already moved everything before they came. But I'm doing okay. Everybody in the church and the refugees are okay. But danger has not gone away yet. I'm so glad that we got the safe house ready a few years ago. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's my week. I wonder if I'm going to have a smash burger today. They have fresh jalapenos, you know. But then Joe's Pizza. Do I want to go to Joe's or do I want to go to Big Cheese? Huh. That's hot outside. I don't know if I want to set the temperature on 68 or 70 or 72 or 75. I'm not going to worry about it. My wife's not here. I'll put it cold. I don't know. I've only got 500 channels on Dish. I don't know which one I want to watch. I think I'm going to record six at one time, and, 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 and I'm going to watch them all. Because, heck, man, I'm an American, and I'm going to church now. And then this guy comes in, and he's saying, can you help? And the Holy Spirit's whispering in our ear. Are my hands open? Are they closed? Because opportunities come all along. I've got to be honest with you. It's hard for me to live with open hands. I'm just being honest with you. There's always another Cabello's catalog coming in the mail. Come on now. There's always something. As I get older, it's harder for me to answer every phone call, especially if I know who it is. 
but I'm a steward. There's some days I don't feel like coming up here and standing before you. And this is not my job. This is my calling. There's some days I'd just rather run to the house and shut the door. Come on. Mute the phone and eat. But I've chosen to live my life with open hands. Because one day, what's been entrusted to us, you're going to stand before the master. And I don't want to tell him, I dug a hole and buried it in the ground. I had a lot of fun. I killed a lot of turkeys. Come on, we went duck hunting a bunch. I got some trophies to show for it. Man, I, 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 I averaged 12% on my investments all my life. Listen, I got the prettiest house in Texarkana. What's it worth? Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 16. He said, and we'll close with this. If any of you wants to be my follower, remember believers follow and followers believe. If you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross. This is what the guy with the one talent wouldn't do. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to reach the end and every bit of it will be taken away from you and given to the one who marries your new wife. You're going to lose it. Your kids are going to spend it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Now, do not get a picture. Oh, I'm serving Jesus and life is just hard. I don't ever have any fun and I don't don't have any money and I don't like it. But I'm going to heaven and I'm supposed to do In his presence there is fullness of joy, and in his right hand treasures forevermore. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll always be with you even to the end of the age. I've been married to the same woman 33 years. She's never committed adultery on me. I've never committed adultery on her. I have peace when I sleep at night. What have I lost? Listen. I still have a good life. And really, when you get to the end of it all, what difference does it make if you could afford a filet or a sirloin? Am I done? I'm done. I'm accountable before God, and one day I'm going to stand before Him. And you remember what God said to the one who invested the five and the two? He looked at him. And he got a big smile, and he said, say it with me, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, give him a good hand today. That's what I want for my life. And that's what Jesus said, how to be ready. Why don't you stand to your feet? And I want to close with a couple questions. And I want to encourage you, before you turn off the preacher here, would you take just a minute and just say, Okay, Lord, now what? Arguably, what I shared with you today, it was strong meat today. But it's what Jesus said about how to be ready for the arguably the greatest event of your life. When Christ comes again, will I be ready? In that first parable, you remember we talked about a man. He had two choices to make. He could be foolish and do his own thing and wait till tomorrow to get right with God. But for him, tomorrow never came. I could be like 
the wise virgins that were prepared, saved, sure, born again, or the unwise who Jesus said, I never knew you. Which one am I? Am I using my time, my treasure, my talent to build God's kingdom? Or am I spending all I have on myself? That's the parable of the talents. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be ready when he comes back. Listen, if you want to be ready, just slip your hand to heaven with me. Just wave your hand at me and say, Pastor, I want to be ready. I want to take what I heard from the Word of God today serious. Not a word of a man. All we did was read Bible verses today and tell you what Jesus said. Lord, I want to be ready. Could we just pray right now? And I'm going to encourage you to join me. Close your eyes. And this prayer doesn't do any good unless it comes from your heart. Because it's not my prayer. It's got to be yours. But could you just say, Lord, I want to be ready when you return. And if I've been living a sinful life, if I've been kind of walking the line, I I, want to ask you to help me change. I I want to make a decision today that I'm going to change. I'm recommitting my life to serve you. Uh, Lord, I'm going to open my hands in the future, my time, my talent, my treasure, because you've entrusted these gifts to me, and I want to use them to advance your kingdom. Lord, help me be ready. Help me be ready. I want you to just put your hands on your heart just a minute. Your heart is not just the organ that pumps blood, but it's the picture of our innermost being. It's who we are. It's our, our spirit. It's where we get saved. It's, it's where the, the essence of our spiritual life comes from. And could you just pray, Lord, would you change my heart? Because there's things in my life that I know that are not pleasing to you, and I, <laughs> I hadn't done very good at changing. But, Lord, I just tell you today, I want to be ready. And whatever needs to be done, please lead me in that pathway. I want more than anything to hear you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, say in Jesus' name. Let me ask you a question. If you're here and say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved, but I want to be. Are you here today and say, Pastor, I'm not ready, but I want to be. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to be like those those foolish people, but I'm ready to make my stand for God today. I'm ready to walk away from my own life, old life, and turn my life to Christ. I need God's forgiveness, and I want Him to save me, and I'm going to live for Christ the rest of my life. And today, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Christ. I want you to pray for me. If that's you, raise your hand real quickly. Come on. Don't even think about it. Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you. Come on. God bless you. Others say, I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. God bless you. I'm not sure. Someone else. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. Give him a big hand. If I died today, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. And I want to walk away from it. God bless you too, dear. Others today say, pray for me. Pray for me. I want Jesus to be first in my life. I've walked with him before. Come on, somebody else. I've walked with God before, but I walked away, and I want to come back today. God bless you, dear. Somebody else, say pray for me. All right, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to close the service. This is your step to Christ. I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to declare him openly. And the way to do that is in just a moment when we start playing this song, I'm going to encourage you to slip out of your chair and come over to the cross. You're not joining a church, but someone will meet you there and they will pray for you. And they'll give you something to help you live the Christian life. It's not automatic. This is not like going to a movie and when it's over you go home. Come on. This is where you're turning to follow Christ the rest of my life. And and, and we want to help you. 
in that process. If you didn't raise your hand, again, I don't want anything from you, but I want to point you to Jesus. You slip out of your chair. But our prayer team is going to come to the front, and we'll pray about anything. We normally do it in the middle of worship, but because we had communion, we want to make a time to pray for you. If you've got problems or needs or listen, struggles, we've all got them, and we'd be honored to pray with you. So as our prayer team is coming to the front right now, we're going to begin to sing. I'm going to ask you, if you need prayer, come on out of your chair. But you that lifted your hand, come on up and let us pray for you right now. Give them one more big hand. All you that lifted your hand, come on, slip out of your chair. Come on, we're going to pray for you right now. You that lifted your hand, come on, give them a big hand as they're coming. God bless you, and God bless you. Come on, there's about eight or nine people. Come on, you need to be up here. I'm committing my life to Christ. Let them slip out. We want to pray for you this morning. The biggest step you'll make, just make your way over to the cross. God bless you. Others that are here today that need to be here, I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed to follow him. Jesus is my Lord. He is very proud of you today. Sing it one last time, and then we'll be dismissed. If you need prayer, come on, let us pray. If you're committing your life, you come. God bless you. I love you. Come on, let's sing it one time before we go. And every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, and I live. prayer team is going to stay down front. We want to encourage you. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. But if that's not you this morning, uh, you can be dismissed at this time. We pray that you have an awesome week.